Hello, my name is Cameron Cole, and I'm the director of Children, Youth, and Family at the Church of the Advent, and I'm also the chairman of Rooted. And uh, this is a podcast where we talk about the intersection of God's truth, the gospel, and parenting. And today we're going to start a series. Uh, this is going to sound kind of uh, kind of dark or uh, gloomy, but it's not. I promise. Stay with me. We're going to start a series about understanding sin helps you understand your child or understanding your child by understanding sin. And so, um, like I said, I know that sounds pretty, uh, pretty pessimistic or uh, like we're hating on the kids, but uh, here's the thing. I think one of the most helpful things for me and for any parent is to be able to kind of understand your child. I think that's part of the reason I really enjoy uh, learning about developmental psychology because uh, I can, you know, understand, oh, this is this is typical behavior for a three-year-old, or this is typical behavior for a five-year-old or a seven-year-old. This is what they're going through now. And it helps you kind of to understand your child's behavior. And it helps you to, you know, to, to understand that this is not necessarily something unique to your child. This is just the nature of the beast of their development as a young person. And so, you know, when you understand your child, then you kind of, you can relax for one, but you can just kind of better minister to them and care to them, care for them. Um, and you're just, you're just not quite as afraid. And so this is a, a sad reality, but there's probably no bigger determinant in your child's behavior than their own sin. Uh, now they're made in the image of God, and that explains a lot of their behavior. Why is it that they have a desire to build relationships? Why is it that they have a desire uh, to, to do things and to create things and, um, and to, you know, to, to play sports and to try in school and those kind of things? Those are all explained uh, by, you know, their creation and their design as we see in Genesis 1, uh, the fact that they're made in the image of God. Um, and at the same time, too, you know, in Genesis 3, uh, when sin comes onto the scene, uh, you know, their sinful nature um, is, is, explains a lot about why kids are the way they are. If a, if a person has the, um, the notion that their child is born uh, good, or in the words of Sarah McLaughlin, we are born innocent. I'm not going to sing it. <laughs> then they're going to find themselves extremely frustrated with their child and they're going to, they're going to um, not have a very good set of tools to respond um, to their child's behavior because they're operating off the presupposition that their child is innocent, their child is good, their child naturally wants to do the right thing. And biblical Christianity tells us that is just not, that's just false. That's completely false. And <laughs> anyone, anyone who believes in inherent human goodness has never had small children. If you have small children, uh, I mean, they're precious and they're delightful and they're beautiful and wonderful. And, you know, they have sweet moments. They are made in the image of God. You know, they, they do want to nestle up to you and they can say sweet things and they can make you feel like a million bucks. And they, they throw a lot of tantrums and, and they, they don't naturally want to share and they want to do things on their terms. And, uh, you know, and, and that's, that's because they are naturally sinful. Uh, that's, that's just, that, that's one of the most um, biblically indisputable 
realities, and it's also one of the most empirically provable realities uh, when it comes to the Bible's theology of mankind, which you call anthropology. And so um, we're going to do a, a number of, of podcast episodes uh, talking about under, how understanding sin helps you understand your child. Um, but today we're going to focus on um, we're going to focus on sin at the theological level, and particularly how the nature of our sin is that we want to independently do life on our own terms. That's really the core nature of sin. And so, you know, when we talk about this word sin, we actually think about sin at three different levels. Uh, we see sin um, kind of represented at three levels in Scripture. And so the first is the behavioral level, and this is the one that most people are most familiar with. Most people think of sin as a violation of God's law, as a transgression um, of the, the, the precepts of the Lord. And so that's, you know, if your child steals or your child lies or your child hits somebody, that's sin at the behavioral level. Well, then you have sin at the relational level. And sin at the relational level refers to separation from God. So, you know, before a person uh, puts their faith in Christ and, uh, and, and, and seeks to make Christ their Savior and their Lord, there is a, there's a separation between them and God. And that separation is sin at the relational level. And then third, we talk about sin at a theological level. And this is probably the one that most people are least knowledgeable about, but this is the one that best, explain, best explains the human behavior. Uh, and that is, you know, sin, the, sin at the theological level is that we all want to be our own Savior and our own Lord. We all want to be the God of our own life. And a simple way to say that is we all want to do life on our own terms. We want the world to revolve around us. We expect the world to revolve around us. And, um, you know, we, we don't, we, we just, we want to do what we want to do when we want to do it, how we want to do it. And that is, that is kind of the core um, of all of our nature. Uh, at the, at, you know, we talk at the sinful level. And so it's the core of your, of your child's um, sinful nature. And so, you know, as we were talking about this, you know, we can have a lot of compassion for our kids knowing that, one, we're, we're no better than they are, right? Like we're, we, we were born with the same nature. Uh, we want to do life on our own terms. I mean, that, that is, I, 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 the more that I kind of uh, grow in my relationship with God, the more uh, frustrated I get with myself and the more just kind of appalled I am at how I just assume that the world should revolve around me. And so, you know, I can have compassion on my kids because I'm not any better than they are. And two, it enables me to have compassion with them because they are born this way. Uh, we are born with a sinful nature. Uh, it's not it's not something that we necessarily like cultivate ourselves. Like it's just kind of our nature. And and so you know the work of God through the Holy Spirit when we're in relationship with Christ is to um, is to help free us from that. And it's always going to be there. Uh, it's always it's going to be with us till the day we die. But but hopefully we're sanctified such that it doesn't have such. Uh, dominion over our lives. And so, so the first thing I want to do today is I, I want to look at, um, I want to look at Genesis chapter three, um, the, where Adam and Eve sin originally and, and kind of describe what we're talking about here with, uh, with sin at the theological level. Then we're going to look a little bit at how, um, how the world encourages, uh, encourages, you know, sin at the theological level. 
Uh, we'll look at child-directed parenting, which is kind of a normal paradigm in the world today, and how, honestly, it, it tends to reinforce a lot of our sinful nature. And then, finally, we'll kind of wrap up with some messages to communicate and some actions to take. Uh, but first, I'm going to read Genesis chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. So we're not going to go through the whole book, just this very beginning part. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God actually say, You shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the tree, eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, You shall not eat of the tree of the free, of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate. And, and so this is the beginning of sin right here. Uh, the serpent tells... Uh, Adam and Eve, three lies. He, you know, one of them is you can't trust what God said. Uh, he, God had said clearly, don't eat from the tree of, God, of the garden of, of, of the knowledge of good and evil. Um, and, and, and Satan says, no, no, no. He, he didn't really say that. Second thing, second lie that he tells is, uh, is about God. He says, you're not going to die. And what, he's, what he is suggesting and saying is that God is not good. You cannot trust him. Uh, he's not on your side. And then finally, the last lie, and this is the one that's so intoxicating, is that you will be like God, knowing good and evil. And something to note here is when we talk about the tree, the, the, the tree of knowledge of good and evil, uh, you know that, that was a literal prohibition, don't eat from that tree. But also, there was something conceptual that it represented. When God said, don't eat from that tree, he also was saying at the spiritual level, do not fall into the idea that you can live independent of God. Do not fall into the trap of thinking um, that you can be your own God and you can be self-sufficient because that will destroy you. Uh, and that is what uh, the serpent fools Adam and Eve with. He, he's, he basically tells them, you know, you can't trust God, you can't trust what he says, and you can be like him. And so they buy into this. And you see the real turning point is when it says in verse 6, when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was delightful to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And so basically, Eve was now doing life on her own terms. She was no longer submitting to what God had revealed. When he said, don't eat from that tree, uh, she now was saying, well, it looks good to me. And I trust myself. And, you know, the terms that God gave, don't eat from that tree, I'm, I'm not on board with those terms anymore. I'm now going to do life on my terms. I'm going to eat the fruit. And Adam is fully on board. And this is, you know, this is what kills them. This is what introduces all the bad things in the world. And so what flows out of not believing you can trust God's word, not believing you can trust God because it's not good, and uh, believing you can be like God, is independence. Us wanting to be our own God, wanting to do life on our own terms. And so this, uh, you know, we inherit this nature from Adam and Eve. 
you know, it is evenly distributed throughout all generations to all of humanity. And so, you know, our sin nature and the, the sin nature of your child is that your child wants to do life on their own terms. And you know as a parent that this is probably the single most frustrating behavior that you deal with, with a, uh, you deal with as a parent. That your child wants to do what they want to do when they want to do it on their terms, right? You, you know, if you're a parent of a teenager, you say, hey, um, you know, you got to be in at this time. You got to be in at 10 o'clock or you got to be in at 9 o'clock. And your child resists that. No, I, I want to stay out till 11. Or you say, you know, phones are up. Phones are up. We, we're taking them up at 8.30. We're taking them up at 9 for bedtime. And, uh, you know, your, your, your child fights that and doesn't want to do that. Your child wants to do life on their own terms. Or, you know, if you're dealing with toddlers and, you know, hey, it's, it's bath time or it's bedtime. I mean, it has to fight every, every parent of small child, children uh, deals with, you know, almost every single day, probably every single night when it comes to the bedtime routine is, you know, fighting it's time to do this, and they want to they want to play with their toys, or they want to watch TV, they want to play the video games, they want to do life on their own terms, and that's that's a reflection of of their of their sin nature, is that they you know they want to do life on their own terms, and so um, so with that being said, one thing that is tough in this day and age is that the world celebrates and uh, and really almost deifies this kind of behavior. The world to the the, the the kind of John three sixteen of the secular world today is be true to yourself. Like you determine who you are, you determine what your rules are, and you stay faithful to whatever you want to do. You hear it all the time in pop culture that independence and you know doing things on your terms that that's that's actually virtuous and that that's what's going to make you happy. Um, there, uh, there, there is an article um, that I read um, that from a, just a blog called Earns, uh, Earn, Spend, Live. And it, the title is Seven Reasons You Should Do Whatever You Want to Do. Um, and boy, I mean, this is bad. <laughs> I mean, this reading this article is, it's, um, man, it's just, it, you know, on one hand, you know, I, I want to just come with this condescending attitude and say, this is so dumb. Like, how dumb can you be to write this article and to believe this? And at the same time, like, it's as dumb as I am because I, you know, I naturally think that if I can do whatever I want to do, I'm going to be happy, right? So here, here are the top seven reasons you should do whatever you want to do. Number one, you'll be much happier. Mm -hmm. uh, number two, you'll be more successful. Number three, you'll feel less stressed and less anxious. Number four, you'll surround yourself with people that you actually like. Number five, you'll discover your passions. Number six, you'll understand yourself better. And number seven, you won't have any regrets. Okay, so, so really, like these are the promises of eternal life. These are the promises of, you know, life in Christ that you're going to be happy and successful. That's not really a promise of, of, of life in Christ, but you'll be less stressed and anxious. And it's, it's almost, it really takes on this article, the promises are promises of salvation, really. And what does it say are, is the route to these promises? It's you doing 
whatever you want to do. And, you know, that is, um, that is just like a lie from the pit of hell. <laughs> and yet, you know, your child, the, the messages that they generally are going to hear um, around the world uh, in media and culture and wherever is that, you know, if you do what you want to do and you live life on your terms, you're, that's where you're going to be actually happy and satisfied and at peace. Um, and it's not like we need any help going down that road because that's naturally where we want to go and that's naturally what we believe. Um, and so with that being said, that does make this battle kind of hard because, you know, outside of their church, um, outside of like, you know, Bible study, outside of, you know, godly influences in their life, they're not going to have a whole lot of people in their life that are saying the truth, which is, hey, if you do life on your own terms, uh, you're actually going to be miserable. <laughs> you're you're going to really struggle with your friendships. You're going to be really e e empty. You're probably going to be pretty isolated because people just don't want to don't want to be in relationship with folks who are totally self-centered and want to do everything on their own terms. Um, and so you know, it's it's in that way, it's a little bit of an uphill battle. And one thing that uh, and this is an interesting article uh, that I read this week that is talking about uh, fertility rates in um, in affluent countries around the world, how people, a lot of people are not having country, not having children in some of the most affluent uh, nations globally. And so in this article, they were talking about Singapore, where they, they, the government is actually paying people to have children. They're, they're, they're giving people stipends to kind of cover the, uh, cover the, the costs of, um, the medical costs of having a baby. And so this is, here's a quote from that article. It says, for Keith, even um, even being paid to have children doesn't make up for the cost of becoming a father. Keith says, I know that me and my wife will have a very good time in the next 30 to 40 years without kids. We don't want to risk that by having children. <laughs> okay, so... Um, you know, that, that's just uh, that, that that really flows out of this this mentality of hey I, I don't I don't want anything that's going to stand in the way of me doing whatever I want to do like I don't want an impediment like children um, to do that and you know that's part of why children are so sanctifying for us as parents is because we you don't have an option as a parent you have to lay down your life for that child uh, you have to you know to radically reorient your life um, towards the, the service and the love of others, and you just can't do life on your own terms. Uh, and that is sanctifying. Um, that, that turns you into a different person. And, and, and quite honestly, and this is something that you know, I hear from older parents, you just, you know, as you come out of parenting, you, in, in a lot of ways, if you've kind of allowed the Lord to do His work in your life, you, you find yourself more content in life uh, because you, it, it breaks you of this mentality of doing life on your own terms. And so one thing that is, that is concerning is uh, this paradigm for parenting that I kind of call child-directed parenting. And, uh, you know, the, uh, Andrew Root, who's a, a, a youth culture and youth ministry scholar, he wrote a book called The End of Youth Ministry, uh, question mark. And what Root observed in American families um, and this was, you know, this was uh, Christian families and secular families alike, is that kind of the, a, a predominant 
paradigm in parenting these days is that you know you allow your child to self-discover their interests, you allow them to define, discover their identity, and then your job is to facilitate this kind of child-directed uh, direction or child-directed life. And look, I, don't get me wrong here. There's, uh, this is obviously not totally black and white. There's a, there's a lot of nuancing to be done because you know, we do, in a functional way, want our kids to grow towards independence. Like that's, that's part of maturing as a human being. Like we want our kids to learn how to put on their own seatbelts and their own, hop into the car seat themselves. We want our kids to learn how to feed themselves. We want our kids to learn how to go to the bathroom on their own and to brush their own teeth and maybe even pack their own lunch and maybe even to clean up their own room. And, you know, and to, to do their homework on their own and to, you know, to one day, like, live on their own, right? That's part of, that's, that's part of good, healthy human development is for them to grow in independence. Um, and we also, too, you know, there, there is something to be said that each child is made uniquely in the image of God. And we do want to help them discover their vocation and so on and so forth. But the extreme manifestation of this, which is pretty common pretty common in American households is basically that everything revolves around the child and everything is totally reoriented um, such that the child lives life on their own terms and, and, and we, you know, parent, the parent perceives that it's their job to facilitate that and to enable that. And that is, that is uh, you know, in a, in a sense, is kind of reinforcing the core of our child's sinful nature <laughs> is, is, you know, to let everything be on their own terms. And so, you know, part of the value, um, part of the value of, you know, living in a family and going to school and being on teams and being in any kind of structured environment where there's routine and things of that nature is that your child learns that they're not the center of the world and your child learns to do life on the terms of other authority figures. Now, ultimately, what we want, you know, for our kids is for them to live life on God's terms. You know, the Bible tells us that that is actually what will make us happy, is for us to rely on God for help, um, for us to submit our lives to the direction of the Holy Spirit, and the leading of Jesus Christ in their life, that that actually is the way to life. John 10, where Jesus identifies himself as the good shepherd. He says the sheep hear his words and he calls his own sheep by name. The sheep obey his words for they know his voice. He is depicting a sheep shepherd relationship where Jesus is the leader and we're the follower. Um, and that's what we want for our child, our, our kids. You know, Jesus says in, in John 10, the thief comes to rob, kill, and destroy, but I have come that you might have life and have it abundantly. And so what will give any human being, but particularly your child, a sense of hope, peace, joy, and satisfaction in their soul is to surrender their life to Christ and to live life on God's terms. And so, you know, with that being said, we, you know, in terms of messages to communicate, um, we want to communicate this 
explicitly that living life on your own terms will leave you empty, fruitless, generally alone, and unfulfilled. That's just what the Bible says. The Bible says that living life on your own terms will lead to death. Death in at emotional, psychological, relational, and social levels. Um, and so, you know, we, wanna, we want to call a thing what it is, and we want to help them uh, understand that, you know, the wages of sin, the natural outcome of sin, is death. And not, I'm not, not just death, like, in the eternal sense. Death in the, you're, are you spiritually and emotionally and relationally dying, or are you spiritually, emotionally, and relationally living? Like, are you... Are you moving in a life-giving direction towards Christ? Um, and so, with that being said, I think a, a, a smart thing to do is when you hear these messages of be true to yourself and, you know, to do life on your own terms or you're going to be happy if you can do whatever you want to do, uh, just to, to, to name it and to, you know, ask your kid, what is being said here? What is being communicated here? What is the promise behind a life of independence? and life on your own terms. And, and, and then to just say like, hey man, like you need to hear that that is not true. Like that is the, the, the path to death and to dissatisfaction. And then on the other side of that coin, to say that living life on God's terms is the path to freedom, joy, and fulfillment. Um, that's the path to life, is to live life on the terms of the Lord Jesus. And that, you know, that means submitting to his law, uh, obeying, you know, obeying his rules. That means uh, being a servant to where life's not all about you, but where you serve other people. Um, and too, just opening your life up to the call of God and wherever he's going to call you. Um, you know, and, and whether that's vocationally, relationally, wherever, but letting Jesus be the good shepherd who leads you to pasture and leads you to eternal life. That's the truth. And so there's, there's a, a really... Uh, you know, I think compelling passage from First Peter chapter two that speaks to this. Now, now, First Peter chapter two verse sixteen says this: "Live as people who are free." Now, if you were to take that verse in abstraction or you know independent from the context, gosh, you know, just naturally we would interpret that as do whatever you want to do. You know, like live life on your terms, YOLO, baby. YOLO! You only live life. You only live life. You only live once. That's it. You only live once. Um, but listen to the listen to the context of freedom in 1 Peter chapter 2. Starting in verse 13, it says, Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be the emperor as supreme, or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. So submit to the government. So very clear, uh, very clear communication of submission to authority and doing life on someone else's terms. Verse 15, for this is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. So there, you're a servant of God. And in this sense, servants means one who's there to serve and one who you know, recognizes that God is your king. He is your king. He is your leader. And then verse 17, it says, Honor everyone. 
love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor, fear God. So fear God is, you know, that's an ultimate, ultimate statement of living life on God's terms. And so, you know, to kind of uh, wrap this up and and blow out the candles, um, you know, what are some actions to take? The first action I would say to take, or, or just kind of a practical takeaway, is what I said earlier, is to be naming the the naming the truth that life on your terms leads to death. And you know, I I will find myself, you know, with my kids when, you know, they want to do what they want to do. And I'm like, you cannot do that right now. And they're insistent, no, but I want to do it. Like my justification for doing this is I want to do it. Um and and I, you know, in in, in some of these some of these moments of you know conflict and struggle, I'll say, listen, <laughs> You can't you like you cannot do life on your your terms. If you try to do life on your terms all the time, it life is not going to work out for you very well. And it, that is a very dissatisfying, uh, um, uh, a, not a satisfying path to take. So that's that is that's one thing. And then on the flip side of that, to continually remind your child living life on God's terms. That's the path to freedom. Taking up your cross. Following Jesus, that is the, that's the path to life and satisfaction and happiness. And then a second thing I would say is, you know, this is particularly true when you have young children. And, and I, I think this is true as kids get older, but it's a little harder to maintain. But there is, there is value for a family having routine and structure. Um, the, you know, you can obviously get neurotic about this, and, and, there, and we don't want to ever be overly rigid. And like having routines um, is a way that you know you can your child is living on the terms of the family as a whole. Um, they are they are not an independent agent doing what they want to do all the time. But like hey, you know it's it's time for dinner, and now we go get a bath, and now we you know go brush our teeth. And now I read a story and now we go to bed. And like, those are the terms, that's the routine, that's the process. And you get on board with that. And you find that that's, that's really, you know, gives children a great sense of, of comfort and security. Uh, and part of that is because the nature of living life on, you know, the, the terms of good authorities, like your parents and the Lord, um, is that there, there is a greater sense of peace and security um, when you're living life on the terms of God. Um, and then a, a final thing is this is also the value of discipline. Uh, this is this is obvious. We all know this, but we all it, it, I you know I I presume that anyone listening to this that you know you're you're, you're you know you're disciplining your child in, in a in a reasonable way, and, and that's always a struggle for everyone. No perfect playbook. Blah blah blah. Yada yada. You, you get what I'm saying. <laughs> but you know a lot of times when we're disciplining our children. What we're communicating to them is, hey, you're trying to do life on your terms. And like, I am intervening here and I am telling you that this is not working right now. And like, long term, this is, this is not going to work well for you as a pattern of behavior. Um, that, that is kind of a core element of the value of discipline. And so last thing I would say here is that this is where the gospel is central and foundational uh, you, no one is going to submit uh, to the terms of somebody that they don't believe is good. Yeah, Adam and Eve, that was the turning point. They, they stopped living life on God's terms 
because they were convinced that God was not for them and he was not good. And so part of the value of constantly reminding kids of the gospel uh, that, you know, Jesus, that God loves you so much and he wants a relationship with you so badly that he would send his son, Jesus Christ, into the world to die for your sins um, so that you would be forgiven and so that you could have a relationship with him. Um, hearing of the goodness of God and his love for you um, is the, the most important thing for your child being able to live life on God's terms. Um, and yeah, the, 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 the foundation, the foundational presupposition below the gospel is that God is good and he's for us. He's someone that we can trust. And so this is the first edition of uh, understanding, uh, understanding your child by understanding sin. Uh, and we focused on uh, the, na- you know, the, nature, the theological nature of sin, of us naturally wanting to do life on our own terms. And so, you know, the, the, the bottom line being that when we live, the, the best life available for us is to live life on God's terms. Um, that's the path of life, is to let Jesus be our good shepherd and our leader. Hope this is helpful, and um, I hope this is life-giving. God bless you, and have a great day.